You're listening to the podcast for Asbury United Methodist Church. Join us every Sunday at 9 a.m. for small groups, 10 a.m. for worship, or anytime at asburybosier.org. Good morning. There we go. It's good to be with you this morning as we continue our series called Final Days, as we prepare ourselves for resurrection. Our scripture lesson today comes from Isaiah the 53rd chapter. It'll be on the screens, it'll be online, and it's also in your Bible or your Bible app. Let us hear the word of the Lord. But he was wounded for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the punishment that made us whole, and by his bruises we are healed. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So, Boudreaux and Clarence didn't get along. Uh, They grew up next to each other, uh, and when they were young, their families had a falling out, so they lived on opposite sides of the river, and that was just best for everyone. Well, one day, the Army Corps of Engineers started building a bridge across the river, and it linked both of their houses together. Well, Boudreaux, when he saw that they were building a bridge, he yelled across the river and said, Hey, Clarence, when they finish this river, when they finish this bridge... I'm going to walk across it and kick your butt. And Clarence said, bring it, Boudreaux. One day, they finished the bridge. And Boudreaux got up early in the morning, got dressed from the waist down, packed lunch, and kissed his wife in the net goodbye. Walking across the bridge. He wasn't back, but three minutes later, he was out of breath. His heart was racing. And then that said, what's wrong? What's wrong? He goes, I was walking across the bridge. I was going to go beat up Clarence. But when I got to the other side, I saw a sign that said, Clarence, nine feet, ten inches. <laughs> Thank you. Thursday night, I'm at Paris. Why does, why does that work? Why does that work, right? Because of context. I don't have to explain it. You know, as soon as the word Boudreaux left my mouth this morning, right? You knew what was about to happen. There was going to be some kind of pun or some kind of strange thing, some kind of... When I I said they're building a bridge over the river, you even have a picture in your head of what that bridge looked like. When I said Boudreaux got up and got dressed from the waist down, you knew what I was talking about, right? You know, Boudreaux's in... I have Boudreaux's in my family, you know what I'm saying? Like, I'm I'm from down south. Context matters. If I have to explain all of that, it doesn't work. For Jesus to make sense, we need context. We need the Old Testament. We need the Hebrew scriptures. Without that story, without the prophecies, without hearing God's story from creation until revelation, Jesus doesn't make sense. To take Christ out of context is bold and also dangerous. Jesus doesn't make sense with that. The understanding of the tension between the disciples and the Pharisees, the importance of following the law, the significance of the Last Supper. You have heard it said, but I say unto you, we need that story in order for that to make sense. Last week, uh, I talked about my story about how my friends met at the flagpole, right? They met at the flagpole on Wednesday mornings and they were praying and then I used to join them but then I joined Key Club and I couldn't join them and when they got word that I wasn't joining them for prayer, they started praying for my salvation because I was not with them worshiping their Jesus, right? You remember that story? And, 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 and how I stuck it to them by reading the Bible for myself, 
What a unique form of vengeance, right? What a great way to get it, really get it. I'll show them. I'll read the Bible for myself. And I did, right? And I came across the Gospel of Mark. It was Holy Week, my junior year. And Caiaphas puts Jesus under oath. Are you the Messiah, the Son of God? And in the Gospel of Mark, Jesus says, I am. Unequivocal. To the point. You can't mince words there. I am. And then you turn to Matthew, and Caiaphas says, Jesus, I put you under oath. Are you the Son of God? And in Matthew's Gospel, Jesus says, you say that I am, but I say to you. Well, that, that's different, right? And Luke is different, and John is different. I remember when I, when I read this for the first time in high school, it was, it was, I was having a, a moment. It was a moment of revelation. It was a moment of discovery. I felt like I was unearthing some like Indiana Jones level kind of mystery here. It's like the time in math class when I developed a theorem. Did I tell you the theorem I made? This is great. If you take a number where the numerals add up, the sum of the numerals are less than nine, and then divide it by nine, depending on the decimal, the answer is always the first digit plus the second digit plus the third digit repeating. Every time. I'll give you a moment. I know the people have their phones out right now. Right? You could test it. 1.24 divided by 9 is 0.136 repeating. Every time. And I presented this to my math teacher in high school. Waiting, waiting for uh, the prize. Right? <laughs> waiting, waiting for the, the, the Nobel Prize of high school formulas. Right? And I said, check this out. And he goes, that's, that's pointless. <laughs> you can't do anything with that. It doesn't work. I'm sitting in my room thinking I'm having this great Indiana Jones discovery and I realize this might be on purpose. And then, and then there was kind of anger that came because no one had told me. When was someone going to tell me that the Gospels were different? Are, are they fearful that the Gospels are different? Are they unaware that the Gospels are different? My friends at the flagpole never seemed to mention that these Gospels offered a different flavor. There are tensions in Scripture. There isn't just one thought. We have four Gospels. And in each of them, Jesus answers this question differently. It's not a problem, but it is permission. It is permission for you and I to come to different conclusions with our interpretations and still be in ministry and covenant with each other. The problem is, at least with my friends at the flagpole, I wasn't worshiping their Jesus, or at least the Jesus that they were presenting, and therefore my salvation was in jeopardy. I love being United Methodist. I love being United Methodist not because I think it's right and Airline Baptist is wrong. I'm a United Methodist because it has been my experience of God and I have found that to be beautiful. To say that we're right and across the street they're wrong, that's a bold claim (laughs) and a dangerous one, right? The gospel's disagreeing is not a problem, it is permission. It is permission for us to break bread with one another even when we disagree on the answers to some of these questions. It's permission to see that scripture has nuance and depth and points beyond itself. When Jesus gives different answers to Caiaphas, 
It's not that the eyewitnesses heard it incorrectly or wrote down something else. The Gospels are offering different pictures of who Jesus is. Caiaphas Caiaphas asks, are you the Messiah? Well, that depends on what you understand the Messiah to be. The Hebrew scriptures give us more than one picture of what a Messiah is and the need for a Messiah. I'll give away part of the punchline. The Gospels offer three distinct pictures of Jesus' answer of what is a Messiah. And in the Hebrew scriptures, there are three distinct pictures of what a Messiah is. Sometimes the Messiah is the anointed priest who takes away the sins of the world. That's in Leviticus. Sometimes the Messiah, which means anointed one, sometimes the Messiah is a king, like King David in 2 Samuel, the anointed one, king of Israel. Sometimes the Messiah is a prophet, like Elisha. Elijah, reluctantly, gave his mantle to Elisha to continue the mission. So sometimes the anointed one is a prophet. And these Gospels are leaning into these differences. Matthew wants us to know that Jesus is the priest that takes away the sins of the world, which is why in the institution of the Last Supper, when Jesus is there with his disciples, the last time he gets a chance to talk to them, he goes, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for you and for many, for the forgiveness of sins. That language, for the forgiveness of sins, is unique to Matthew. That is not in Mark or Luke or John. Because Matthew wants you to know the kind of Messiah that Jesus is, is one that can erase sin, that can offer forgiveness and bring reconciliation between you and God. Mark, Mark is different. Mark wants you to know that Jesus is a Messiah like a prophet. Jesus is quick. He's on the move. He's never in one place for very long. The word immediately is all over the Gospel of Mark. He's terse. And sometimes Jesus is in a bad mood in the Gospel of Mark. He's very hard on the disciples. He is the prophet. And sometimes prophets can get intense. And then there's John. Then there's John. You'll hear me say that a lot. And then there's John, where Jesus has a conversation with Pilate. And Pilate says, are you a king? And Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this world. John wants us to know that the Messiah that Jesus is, is like a king, but not according to the rules of Rome. Oh, these are not problems. These differences in the Gospels are not problems. They are permission to dive into a nuanced, beautiful, intriguing story of who Jesus is and who God is calling us to be. It's not that Jesus is priest, end of story, or Jesus is prophet, end of story, or Jesus is king, end of story. We are United Methodists. We are people of and. Jesus is priest and prophet and king, and he is the one who prepares us for resurrection. He's the one who prepares us for resurrection. None of this is what Caiaphas was expecting. It doesn't really matter how Jesus answers that question. Caiaphas has already made his mind up. Jesus did not meet his expectation. What is your level of expectation? What are you expecting to happen this year by the time we get to the empty tomb? Last week I talked about how Lent is a season where the church invites you to give something up or take something on to reestablish your relationship with God and with each other. Sometimes that means tearing barriers down. Sometimes it means building strategic barriers. 
on purpose, in place. On Easter Sunday, it said that they ran from the tomb with great fear, but also great joy. Are you, this season, working on finding your joy? So, if you, if you gave up chocolate, how's it going? <laughs> if you took on reading your Bible every, for 10 minutes every morning, how's it going? Are you sticking with it? I'm not going to ask for a raise of hands. Are you sticking with it? Are you not? Are you now filled with a sense of shame like, dang it, he reminded me that I'm supposed to be working out every day, right? Dang it. Here's a confession. Confession to start with the pastor. Here's a confession. Every year before New Year's resolution, I make my New Year's resolutions on my birthday, which is December 11th. It has nothing to do with the fact that that's my birthday. It has everything to do with there's time to give myself a three-week money-back guarantee with myself. <laughs> right? I start my New Year's resolutions three weeks ahead of time because I know myself. I remember one year I took up running. You can see how well that went. Right? Let me just say that out loud. You can see how well. I started running for three weeks. And like by, by the time the New Year started, it just wasn't working. It just wasn't working. Sometimes it might take you all 40 days to even discern what you need to give up or what you need to take on in order to reestablish your relationship with God. In other words, if you gave up chocolate and it ain't working, then stop. Choose something else. Maybe that's not it. Or maybe it is chocolate. Chocolate, start again. Start today. Well, today's a feast day. Start tomorrow. Start tomorrow with giving up. The point isn't to give something up and then pick it right back up on Easter Sunday. You've been there. I've been there. One year I gave up buffalo wings. And now there's a new wing stop on airline. The point isn't on Easter Sunday to then, you know, like, here we go. Basket of 25. Where's your family? No, just for me. Right? The point isn't to give it up and then pick it right back up for Easter. The point is to prepare yourself for resurrection. Sometimes that means giving up something and not picking it back up. Sometimes it means picking something up and never letting it go. And if it ain't working, switch gears. Do something else. Try something different. Or maybe it is the thing and you need to keep going. It may take, like, well, Casey knows this. I, you know, I give myself a three-week money-back guarantee. Every morning when I'm in the office, it takes me at least 15, 20 minutes to choose the background music that I need for the day to get what, I'm, what I need to get done, right? Sometimes you just need time, friends. You just need time to figure it out. Not keeping your Lenten fast is not a problem, but it is permission to ask yourself why it isn't working. It is permission to do the deep dive into yourself and wonder why I'm having trouble with this. It's getting ready for resurrection. So one of my friends, and I mentioned him before, um, he is on his fourth round of uh, uh, rehab. Um, he struggled with alcohol, and the first time he went to rehab didn't work. <laughs> Second time, didn't work. Third time, didn't work. Fourth time, worked. 
and it's been two years. His sober day, I think, was like eight, eight or nine days ago. Two years. It worked on the fourth. If he had stopped after the second time, this would be a very different story. Why did it work? One day he called me in tears. Uh, he meets with his sponsor every morning at 6 o'clock. They call each other, right? Look, if you're having trouble giving up chocolate, then call somebody who gave up chocolate and talk to them every morning at 6. You'll probably find some more success, right? He calls the sponsor. And on that particular day, he, he said, I'm, I'm sad. I'm, I'm sorrowful. Because I'm beginning to realize, this is after a year in, I'm beginning to realize how much life I let go by. How much damage I'd done how much harm I'd caused the people around me, it makes me sad. And he goes, I shouldn't feel as good as I'm feeling. He goes, I'm sad because I'm, I shouldn't feel this good. I'm healthy, I'm sleeping, I shouldn't feel this good. I don't deserve to feel this good. And his sponsor, in great wisdom, said, what you're feeling right now is the sense of forgiving yourself. Why did it stick? It's because he finally forgave himself. If you break your Lenten fast and then give up, it's not going to get you very far. Okay, you broke your Lenten fast. Start again. Start tomorrow. Forgive yourself. Move on. Keep going. Prepare your... It's not about giving up the chocolate. It's about preparing yourself for resurrection. When we are resurrection people, we don't have time or energy or space to carry that stuff. Learn how to put it down. Learn how to put down anger. I'm picking on chocolate, but learn how to put down anger. Learn how to pick up love. Learn how to put down judgment. Learn how to pick up forgiveness. Prepare yourself for resurrection. Because soon... Soon we're going to get to an empty tomb. There's more than one way to slice this. You can either get to the empty tomb and say, oh my God, he is alive. You could also get to the tomb and say, oh my God, where's the body? Same tomb, different perspective. Preparing ourselves for resurrection. You can walk across a bridge and plan to forgive your neighbor, or you can walk across a bridge and say, oh my God, he's nine feet tall and run back and never cross the bridge again. Forgive yourself. Forgive your neighbor. Get ready. Are you the Messiah? Caiaphas asked. Again, the answer that, that Jesus gave wasn't for Caiaphas. He had already made up his mind. The, the answer Jesus gave is for us. And there are four different answers to show us that God's word is inexhaustible. It is nuanced. It is beautiful. And you're invited to dive in. But here's the question. Do you believe that Jesus is the Messiah? Well, I'll see you at the empty tomb, and you tell me. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us pray, friends.